So then, without further ado, um, we want to thank Matt Seidel, the son of uh, Jerry, who is going to be our speaker tonight. Matt is going to give us his testimony, so he's going to give you a, a lot of his history. But uh, he's currently a pastor up at Forest Hill Community Church in uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina. And he has uh, graciously taken this evening, drove down, drove down here to, uh, to um, speak to us tonight. So with that, I'll turn it over to Matt. You guys hear me okay? Oh, good. I'm really bad with microphones, so... Hope you got a spare back there, Alex. Um, hey, guys, it's fun to be here with y'all tonight. Um, how many of you, this is the first time you've ever been here, right? Maybe one or two? Great. Okay. I see some. Everybody's new to me. Um, but uh, my guess is that if you've been around for a while, then it's easy for you to recognize new people. I would encourage you, uh, if you are new, um, to embrace the awkwardness and welcome yourselves into this community. Uh, guys who have been around for a while, it's really your responsibility to welcome other people well. So take the time before you leave to talk to people that you don't know. Um, there's something good about men gathered together that is unique um, and really unique in the church today. Um, so take every advantage of this that you can. <clears throat> So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about my story. So I'm a pastor at Forest Hill Church, which is up in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have uh, six campuses with plans to open a seventh campus. Um, and uh, I work, have worked at the Fort Mill campus for a long time. Uh, but about a year ago, just before my daughter was born, I switched roles. Um, and so now I work behind the scenes with our adult ministries. And it's my responsibility uh, to think about why we do what we do and how we can do it better when it comes to everything related to our adult life groups, which is what we call our small groups. Forest Hill, um, because we have a lot of campuses, we also have a lot of small groups. We have somewhere between four and 500. It kind of depends on when you count, um, which means that we have hundreds of life group leaders. Um, and when I cover, when I think about life groups, it's my job to think about everything from the way that people connect into community, whether it's in person or online, to what happens when groups gather together, how they study scripture, how they uh, build community, how they serve, um, how they do all the things that groups do that uh, are designed to build community and further the gospel. But the thing that I spend the majority of my time doing is thinking about our leaders. Several hundred people uh, who are constantly rotating through. Every two years or so, uh, life groups begin and end. And so we have hundreds of people streaming through all the time. And it's my job to think about where they come from. How are we recruiting them and developing, supporting them, training, equipping them to lead great groups? Uh, but even more than that, so that when their groups are over, um, that they are prepared to lead in other places. Because we know, I'm just going to switch. So it's my job to think about our leaders and where they come from and to equip them to lead uh, even after they're finished leading. We know that most of our leaders aren't going to lead for the rest of their lives at uh, life groups at Forest Hill. We know that most of them probably aren't even going to die at Forest Hill. And so we really take it seriously that it's our responsibility to equip and prepare and support people for whatever is next. We think that the gospel is bigger than anything that we do. And so we take seriously our responsibility to prepare people for a lifetime of loving Jesus wherever they go. One of the things that's really fun about my job is that I get to work with hundreds of life group leaders and hundreds of volunteers in general. And one of the things that's really cool about volunteers is that they tend to be really generous. They are always giving away their time and their talent and their money. And my guess is that that's actually pretty similar here at Brookwood. How many of you volunteer somewhere at Brookwood? Okay, look around. That's a lot of hands. What do you do? 
What do you do? What do you, where do you guys volunteer? Somebody say it out loud. Greeting, greeting. Offering. What else? Right, so one at a time. Traffic. What else? You guys are so cute. You all said that at the same time. Children's ministry. Yeah, what else? What? Mentoring. What else? Meal team. What else? Anywhere else you guys serve? Okay, I'm just going to trust you guys heard what was said. Why do you do it? Why do you volunteer? Somebody back here at this table said something. There's a need. Okay. What else? Why do you volunteer? That was said with a beautiful, deep voice. The love of God compels you to. What else? It's rewarding. Yeah. It's enjoyable. You set an example for others. Yeah. What else? It's modeled by Christ. Yeah. It pays good. <laughs> I tell you what, you should become a pastor. <clears throat> you're blessing the people that you, blessed by the people that you meet. Good. And you're a blessing, I'm assuming, right, Ralph? Yeah, good. You know why I think you volunteer? I think that you volunteer because it glorifies God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can't help but glorify God. It's what you do by the very nature of who you are. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, around verse 15, he says, We are the aroma of Christ. You guys smell like Jesus. Somebody here just came from the gym. Even you, you smell like Jesus. Right? There's something about an aroma, a fragrance uh, that has a, a memory attached to it, right? There's a smell that takes you back to your childhood, to your grandma's house. There's a smell that takes you back to, um, for me, uh, we had Chick-fil-A nuggets at our wedding day. So when I smell Chick-fil-A nuggets, it reminds me of my wedding day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was for being married or for Chick-fil-A. I'll take it for both. Good. Yeah. What are some things that, what are some smells that you guys have that take you back to a memory? Don't, don't tell us all together. Turn to the people at your table. If you haven't yet introduced yourself, go ahead and say hi to the people at your table. Um, and then tell them a smell that brings back a memory. It can be good or bad, but hopefully just good ones. I'll come back in a second. All right. All right. Somebody give me, your, somebody give me the best smell at your table. The ocean. Ooh, I like you guys. Yeah, I used to live at the beach. Not actually at the beach. I'm not rich. Um, but I used to live close enough to go to the beach a lot. And there's something about the way that it smells. You can't forget it. What else? Yeah. Thanksgiving and pine floors. Is that what you said? Pine forest. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. What about a pine forest? What does that remind you of? Who's, somebody said it, right? We didn't make that one up. The aroma. Okay. Yeah. Pine saw. 
Man, it's still better than this table up here. Sorry. That's my dad. I can make fun of him a little bit. So there's something about aroma, right? When it hits your nose, it brings back memories. There's more to it than just a smell. There's a story. There's a, there's a memory. When Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ, there's something about who we are, what we smell like, that reminds other, others of, of who Jesus is. You guys smell like Jesus. And it's not just a smell, it's a memory. There's something deeper that's connected to who Jesus is because of the way that you smell, the way that you act. The, who, who you are in Christ is different, and it reminds others of Jesus. Now, what he goes on to say is that we are the aroma of Christ to God. You guys remind God of Jesus. Not that God needs to be reminded, but we do. Right? And that's called worship. When we remind God, when we tell God the things that are true about what Jesus has done, it is worship. You are worthy because you have died on the cross in a way that means that I don't die, that I live forever. So thank you, Jesus. We are the aroma of Christ to God. It's worship. But he goes on to say, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. The second way that we glorify God is through uh, building one another up. The old church word here is edification, to, to build up. This is iron sharpening iron. We make one another better. We remind one another of Jesus. And the third thing that uh, we do to glorify God, what Paul says is that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. From one, it's a fragrance from death to death. Another, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, we speak in Christ. The third way that we glorify God is through evangelism. We remind people who do not know Jesus, who do not remember what he has done, of who he is. That's how we glorify God. Side note. Evangelism has not always been this way, but it is today about listening, about asking questions. Who are you? What's your story? How, how are you doing? We ask a lot of questions. And then at some point, the Holy Spirit says, okay, now you have permission to speak. Sometimes he gives you permission when you're ready. Sometimes he gives other people a prompting to ask you a question that you are not ready for. And that's the way that evangelism works today. It's the Holy Spirit giving us good news to share with others. But it mostly starts with us listening. Your mouth is not the primary tool of evangelism. It's the secondary tool. So if you are a volunteer with Brookwood, and I saw a lot of hands up here, that's why you do it. Volunteering is not about accomplishing a task. Brookwood does not need you. Jesus does not need you. Volunteering is about giving yourself away. It's about glorifying God. It's about worship. It's about edification. It's about evangelism. So tonight, we're just going to focus on the second one, edification, the way that we build one another up, or as it's more often called, leadership. Have you ever thought about leadership as uh, not just being the person in front taking the charge, uh, but leadership as giving, uh, giving yourself away as you build other people up? That's what leadership is. That's what real leadership is. 
Now, I knew that I was going to be speaking to a bunch of men, um, and so I deliberately chose what I think is the most manly passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. All right, it's a super manly list, which doesn't sound super manly, but it is. It's a list of David's mighty men. Uh, the book of Samuel, the books of First and Second Samuel, it's it's a it's a it's a story of the first three kings of Israel, of Saul, of David, and of David's sons. And at the end of the narrative, at the end of the story, it's like the guy who wrote it or the people who wrote it said, oh, we, we've got to put this in there. It doesn't really fit into the story, but it's important information to have. So there's this section that's an appendix. And in the appendix is this list of David's mighty men. It's found in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23. <clears throat> now, look, here's the deal. Uh, this list has a bunch of Old Testament names. Um, and I went to seminary, but I am not an expert in pronouncing Hebrew names, so I'm going to fake it. Um, and as I read these names, uh, you guys give me grace, okay? And when I get to a list that's just straight names, I'm just going to kind of skim it. Is that okay? Yes? I heard one no, maybe. All right, sorry. Sorry to whoever said no. Here goes. This is Second Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 8. I'm more nervous about this than anything else. <laughs> These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, a Tachamenamite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when, when they defied the, is, the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and, defeat, and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And this is verse 18. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zerai, was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. I don't know why that's in there. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and one in name beside the three mighty men. And he was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. And then verses 24 through 39 is just a huge list of crazy names. So I'm not going to read it. Here's the thing about lists when they're in the Bible. This is just a freebie for you as you're reading scripture. Uh, lists are there to remind you of a bigger story. In the same way that if I said Pearl Harbor and Normandy, and Hiroshima. 
just telling you the names evoke memories and stories. Whether you were there or not, you know more about what I just said just because I said a couple of words. And that's what lists are for in Scripture, whether it's lists of names like genealogy or whether it's lists of places. It's designed to tell you more of a story um, so that you can be a participant in what's happening. It's a shorthand version of a bigger narrative. Now, when I read this list and I see these guys who did super manly things, um, it reminds me of the like, elite military units that countries have. Right? What are some of the elite military units in the world? So, so say it louder. Navy SEALs, yep. Green Beret. The Rangers. The, what's that? Recon Marines. That sounds like a man who was in the Marines. Amen? All right. See, I didn't want to give the list because I didn't want to leave anybody out, so thank you. Anybody else? Any other, like, super-duper elite military units out there? Okay. <laughs> well, that's enough. So this is like SEAL Team 6 if they had three Rambos on the side, right? Actually, I looked it up. Rambo, you know how many men Rambo supposedly killed in the movies? Well, the first movie, it was only one guy. Uh, by the last movie, it was like 200 and something. Uh, but total, 445. This very first guy with this ridiculous name, Josheb Bashabeth, attack him night, killed 800. Almost twice what Rambo did. These are some bad dudes. And when I see a list like this, uh, I know that I don't belong on it. And for the most part, that's totally fine, because I'm not a fighter. Um, my guess is that most of you guys probably aren't, except for our Marine buddy back there. But my guess is that there are lists that you kind of wish you were on, right? Things that you wish you were really good at. Things that, you know, you just stink at. Right? For me, it's budgeting or dealing with conflict, or planning really fun dates with my wife. There's lots of things that I wish I was good at that I just know it's just not me. I'm just not very good at it, right? And you probably have things like that too, things that you wish you were really, really good at that you're just not. What do you do with that? What do you do when you have to do something that you know you stink at? What's that? Pray about it. And then you do it, right? You do it. You don't lay in bed. You don't sulk and, and do other sulky things. You get up and you do it. You do the hard stuff. Even if you know that you stink at it, you do the hard stuff. Even when you wake up in the morning and you know that most of your day is going to be the thing that you stink at, you do it anyways. And that's leadership. That's giving yourself away for the sake of other people. It's probably the most obvious place where you give yourself away because you feel it the most. I'm not good at this. I'm just not good at it. But I'm going to do our budget tonight because I know that we have to have money to live on. I'm not good at conflict, but you are wrong. And somebody's got to tell you, and the Lord has told me that it's me. Darn. When you have to do hard things, just do them. 
even if you know that you're not good at it, even if you know you're not the best of the best, the mightiest of the mighty, the things that you stink at, you still do them. That's leadership. That's giving yourself away for the sake of others. But sometimes, other lists, there's things, there's things that you are pretty good at. You might not be the best, but there's things that you're pretty good at, things that you have potential for. I think the most obvious place where this happens is in our work, right? especially if you are um, younger or newer at your job, where you're not really known, uh, where you're not really trusted. There's a lot of things that you have potential for that no one is letting you do. How's that feel? Does it feel good to just have to suck it up and go under the radar? To know that you've got more to offer and no one's letting you do it? It's hard, right? What do you do in that case? You keep going. And if you've got potential, what do you do with that? What do you do when you know that you could do more and no one's really giving you the opportunity? I have a friend named Glenn, um, and he is a retired CEO. Um, He worked for a startup, and before that, he was an executive for a pretty big uh, oil company. And I asked him one time, Glenn, how did you get to the position that you're in? And he said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the hardest working. But what I did was every single day, I did everything I could to make the people above me better. It was my job to raise everybody else up. So I tried to make my bosses look better, and I didn't care if they got the credit. I didn't care if nobody knew what I did. I did everything I could to raise everybody else up. If you're somebody who has more to offer, offer it, and then back it up. Especially if you are somebody who is younger, who is seen as with less experience, less knowledge, don't wait for people Uh, to retire or to get out of the way. Be brave, be bold. In the same way that you are bold in your evangelism, be patient. Ask questions. Learn as much as you can. And when the Holy Spirit says, say something now, do it. And sometimes you'll be ready for it. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt someone else to say, what you got? What you got? You can do more. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. My guess is that those are hard things. Hard things for us to do, to set an example, to raise everybody else up. Raise the bar. That's what you're called to do. If you know that you've got some potential in an area that you could do more. Raise the bar. Now, I'm talking to men, and so I know that most of you are probably thinking about your work. How many of you are married? How many of you have kids? How many of you have friends? Okay, that was the least amount of hands. (laughs) I'm just going to stop early and let you make friends, okay? Not right now, but in a little bit. In your relationships... You have potential. Raise the bar, men. Your wife deserves more. Your kids deserve more. Your friends deserve more. Raise the bar. You've got potential that you don't even know about, and it is about a whole lot more than your work. 
Raise the bar. Raise the bar here at Brookwood. You could do so much more. You guys have so much potential. Do something with it. Set an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Now, here's the last thing that could happen when you look at a list like this. <laughs> you just know you're on it, right? You're kind of a big deal. And it's not, it's not bragging. You just know that you've done it. You've accomplished some great things. You've worked your butt off. Maybe you've gotten a little bit lucky, but you are one of the best of the best. You're a leader of leaders, the mightiest of the mighty. And I don't know what it is, but I know that some people in this room, like you guys are all-stars. You just are. There's no shame in admitting it. But what do you do with that? What do you do if you are somebody who makes the list? You're the best of the best. What do you think? What's that? Teach? Share with others? Give, give credit to God, and what was that? Go lower in humility? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think you do? I think you do all of those things. But I think what you especially do is you go back to the very beginning of the story. It's often said that it's not fair to compare your today with someone else's best. Where you are right now is not the end of the story. 2 Samuel 23 is the summary of everything that happened. That summary is after years and years and years. And that's not where you started. If you are one of the best of the best, the mightiest of the mighty, remember where it started. So that's what we're going to do in just a second. But I want to take you back in a story that's a little more personal for me. So I grew up here in Greenville. Um, my parents' house is like a mile that way, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a little turned around. It's a mile that way. I went to Bethel Elementary. Go Cardinals. Any other Cardinals in the room? No. That's okay. We can still be friends. So I went to Bethel, and towards the end of my elementary school years, moving into middle school, uh, my family left the church that I had grown up in. I don't know all the details. I don't really need to know all the details. But what I remember is that for a long time, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we were new. And I was not known. I was not noticed. I was not welcome. It wasn't overt. Nobody said, I don't want you to be in our church. They just didn't talk to me. They didn't care. And I was an awkward middle schooler, and I totally get it. Um, but it hurts to be new and to be unknown. If you guys are newer to Brookwood, you probably have a vague memory of what that feels like. If not, then I would encourage you to go somewhere that you do not belong and try to fit in. See what it feels like. Go somewhere that you don't typically go. And remember what it feels like to be new. Because my guess is that you would notice people differently. So for a long time, I was new. I can remember one Sunday in particular at a Sunday school class, and I don't remember which church it was. I think that's God's grace. Um, but I remember they passed out the Bibles as if I wasn't even in the room. It's like, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. And that hurts. It hurts to be unknown and unnoticed and unwelcomed and unwanted. 
But I had a friend, um, uh, my next door neighbor, and he had started going to this new church. And they didn't have a building yet, so we met at uh, Heritage Lakes Clubhouse, uh, just up on 14. And I remember walking in one morning, or one night, and somebody noticed me. And somebody was glad I was here. Somebody welcomed me, and gradually I got to be known. And then I became one of the people who noticed other people, who welcomed them in, who got to know other people. And that was Brookwood, 20-something years ago. Before, not just this building, but before the building, before this building. Brookwood uh, was instrumental to my journey uh, towards where I am today. Um, It was the first place where I got to know God in a way that he was personal to me. And a place where I got to ask questions and wonder and try to do community and try to do all of the things that I think really matter, to worship, to build one another up, to evangelize. And I wasn't particularly good at it. I wasn't particularly gifted, but it was a beginning for me that has led 20-some years later to where I am today as a pastor at a church two hours from here. Because somebody decided to welcome me. Because somebody decided to notice me. Because my friend Scott, whose dad's right here, said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? We've got a good church. You'll feel welcomed. You'll feel noticed. You guys could be those men on Sunday morning. There are hundreds of people who walk in these doors every day and feel unknown. Every Sunday. Look for them. Don't look for all of them. You'll go crazy. Ask the Lord to show you one person this Sunday. Who is new? Who do I need to talk to? Who, Lord, have you been working on for a long time? Do you know how scary it is to walk into a church? It is super scary. And people aren't just coming into the church doors anymore. If we are going to grow as a church, to be a place where people can worship, to build one another up and to glorify God through making him known, we have to be better at welcoming the people who take crazy risks to walk through these doors. You have to be better. You have crazy potential, and you could do it. Don't let fear get in your way, because these people who walk through these doors didn't let fear stop them. But fear, man, fear is crazy, right? So um, this list that we just looked at is a list of the mighty men, right? SEAL Team 6 plus three Rambos. You know the guy they learned it from? David. The mightiest of the mighty. Well, Actually, the mightiest of the mighty is Jesus. Uh, But the mightiest of the mighty in this story is David. Come to think of it, actually, what Jesus did is not that different. He was the one who gave himself away in order to build other people up. On the cross, he died so that you could live. That's a really big deal. That is like super-duper leadership. But in this story, the mightiest of the mighty is David. As a kid, he killed a giant, right? Like a nine and a half foot tall guy with, I don't know, some crazy heavy spear and stuff. He killed him. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to kill you with your own sword, dude. And I've got a sling and some rocks. But I'm going to kill you with your own sword um, because my God is bigger than your God. That is crazy bravery. They used to sing songs about David. He has killed his tens of thousands. I'm sure it was a really popular song. <clears throat> but 
But in 1 Samuel, David is operating out of fear. He's on the run from Saul. And you know where he runs? He runs to Gath, the Philistine city that Goliath came from. He ran from one person who wanted him dead to a whole city that wanted him dead. That's how desperate he was. And I think what he thought was that he could kind of blend in and hide. You know, he wasn't a boy anymore. He had a beard. He was a man. I like the way I said that. He's a man. And he was hiding in fear from Saul, hoping that no one would recognize him. But somebody did. And they said, hey, that's David. You, you killed Goliath. We don't really want you here. And so he pretended to be crazy in hopes that he could still stay in the city. He started foaming at the mouth. He would scratch on doors and do all kinds of things in order to try to look like he was crazy. And you know what they said? Get out of here. We don't want you. So he was running from Saul. He was running uh, from the Philistines in Gath. You know where he ran? He ran to a cave, to a hole in the ground in the middle of nowhere in hopes that no one would notice him. So I'm going to read two verses from 1 Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 22. David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there with him were about 400 men. This is the very beginning of the story that ends with the summary of David's mighty men. The baddest dudes in the world started out following a guy who had run and run and run in fear. And this is a picture of leadership, the kind of leadership that I think we all need. That we would give ourselves away, even when we don't feel like it, for the sake of other people. The kingdom of Israel was a hot mess at the time. Um, they were being attacked on all sides. And because Saul uh, was so worried about David being the next king, he really didn't care about the army. And he let them lapse and he let uh, their country be, gradually be invaded bit by bit. And so people everywhere were being attacked, especially on the borders and especially on the southern border. And they were being attacked from the inside. There were people um, who were going to others and um, putting them in debt. It would be like the entire nation was filled with those like title max places, right? Let me make a really bad deal with you just so that you can make it one more day. And then when you make it one more day, I'm going to take everything you got. And it was actually forbidden in the kingdom of Israel. There should be no debt collectors in Israel. Saul should be worried about the armies outside, not about the guy who's going to come in after him. But he was so worried about clinging on to his power that he had lost all responsibility for everyone else under him. Saul did the opposite of what David did, and David ran in fear because he didn't want to die. And he hid, and he hid, and he hid until he was in a hole in the ground, wallowing in self-pity, and then his family comes, and they're in a bad way. 
And then other people start to come bit by bit. David, we need your help, man. We need your help. What are you going to do for the nation of Israel? What are you going to do for us? We are in trouble. And it's in that moment that David flips the switch from being about him and his needs and his junk to being about lifting other people up. My guess is that some of you guys came in tonight with some really hard stuff happening in your life, right? Hard stuff. I don't know what it is. Maybe some, maybe some other people know in this room. Maybe you're the only one that knows. Maybe it happened on the way in. But you guys are carrying some really hard stuff. Even if that's the case, you can still be leaders. You can still give yourself away to build other people up. That's what David did. And when you do that, it's not that you are at all diminishing the hard stuff in your life. You're just acknowledging that that is God's responsibility. It's my job to care for my brothers. That's what David did. That's what made him a different kind of leader. Your, your stuff is really hard. And God knows. He really cares. He's not overwhelmed or confounded by the crap in your life. He's going to work it out. But he's also got you here for a reason. It's to be a leader for other people. Give yourself away so that you can lift other people up. Some of you guys are the mightiest of the mighty. You are some bad dudes. <laughs> and I don't know what venues you are the toughest of the tough, the leaders of the leaders, but you know. You've accomplished some really good stuff, but you are probably in the second half or maybe the third third of your life. Don't be like Saul. Don't cling to power. Give it away, man. You've got so much to give. Go back to the beginning. Find the people who could be helped and raise them up. Don't cling to power. Give it away. Some of you in this room, you've got great potential. You're just starting out in your careers, in your relationships, um, in all of the things that you are getting ready to be awesome at. Go be awesome. Blow people away. Don't waste your potential. Set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And some of you here tonight, you're just barely hanging on. I don't know what way, but you know, and God knows. Some of you are just barely hanging on. Don't give up. Don't focus on yourself, but give yourself away. That's what Jesus did. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, and I'll close with this. If you want to save your life, you are going to destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. The only one worth giving your life up for is Jesus. You are called to glorify him through worship, through building one another up, and through evangelism. That's what's worth it. And as you do those things, you will find that he is doing those things for you. Um, I'm going to pray for you guys, and then I'm going to let you spend some time uh, in your table groups. Does that sound good?
Somebody in charge? Okay, great. Uh, Jesus, we know that you are good and that you love us, that everything you do, Father, Son, and Spirit, is really, 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 really good. So I pray that tonight in this room, these men would know the power of your Spirit in a way that gives them confidence to live their lives generously. Whether they feel like superstars or like people with more potential or people who are just doing the hardest things in the world. Lord, would you be kind to them? And would you be kind through them to people who come to this church who take great risks? May this group of men be men who welcome people well. We pray that Brookwood would be um, greatly blessed by the work of these men's hands. Amen. What an amazing testimony. If you are encouraged by this message, you can learn more about our men's ministry and our many other adult ministries here at Brookwood by visiting brookwoodchurch.org forward slash adults. Or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood Church app. We thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.